Good evening, everybody. Hope you're all well. And um, for those of you that have had snow in your part of the world today, I hope you had good fun. And uh, you've defrosted a little bit by now. Uh, lovely to see the snow again, wasn't it? I tell you what, I think having grown up in Durban and um, with British grandparents, every Christmas we would get these, um, these postcards from our grandparents and it would be something, be something like from across the miles and there would be a photograph, oh, not a photo, but you know like a little thing of a, of a snowman and robins and, and um, it was just so uh, unlike anything that we grew up with in Durban where we would be having summer at Christmas time, be down at the beach. Having said that, it would always rain on Christmas Day, but nevertheless, it was still summer. The, the rain was warm, and uh, <laughs> but uh, I've always loved the snow. We've been here for nearly how many? Twenty-three years now, I think. Twenty-three years, and um, I still love it. It's still a novelty to us. So uh, I hope you had fun today and you stayed safe, and that you have indeed defrosted. So we're just giving everybody just a couple of minutes just to dial in, and um, then we'll get started. So make sure that you've got your Bible and a notepad and a pen just to take note of the scriptures and go back and meditate on them for yourself. You know, the, the, the Word of God is so rich, you, you can never uh, mine all the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge in the Word of God. You can read the same scripture over and over for, for the rest of your life and God can always reveal something new to you, a new aspect of it. Uh, we do love the Word of God, don't we? So that's great. So I'm just going to open in prayer, and I think it's time we can kick off now. And so, Father, we just thank you for this for this evening. We thank you for this day that you've brought us through, and for the your blessing upon our lives, Father God. Thank you that we are we are standing or sitting here tonight, Father God. Children of God, loved by God, accepted by God, with a hope and a future because of you, God. So, Lord, I pray tonight that you would help me to articulate myself clearly that you would help me to, to bring forth your truth, Father God, that would be in some way beneficial to, to your people. And Father, for any that, that might just watch in tonight that don't yet know you, Lord, I pray that you would take your word and that you would make it alive to them and reveal your love and goodness to them. And we thank you for that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Sandy's nodding vigorously. She's in agreement with me. We're in agreement. If any two of you agree as anything, it shall be done for you. Amen. So let's kick off. Tonight we're talking, and we're going to continue talking for the next few weeks, on this um, topic of building the house. And tonight specifically, I want to talk about building the house with Christ at the center. Building the house with Christ at the center. Now, whenever we come to the topic of, of building um, there's one thing that comes to mind is that building always takes effort. Building is an effort. Whether you're building a house, whether you're building a patio, a garden, whether you're building your life or your marriage, uh, raising kids, that's building their lives. Whatever it is, it takes effort. And, and if we're going to be doing something that requires our time and our effort, we want it to be successful. We want it to, to, to last. We want it to stand the test of time. So how we build, and how, sorry, rather, rather let me say it like this, uh, how do we build so that we know that what we build will last that test of time? Because time will test what we, we build. We want to leave a legacy. We want our lives to have a measure of success to them. Now we know Jesus didn't say, 
well done, my good and successful servant. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. So, so I think there's a, there's a big um, thing we can put on the side and just remember that, that, that God is looking for faithfulness in our lives and not necessarily for us to be the all singing and all dancing anything. Just faithful, faithfulness. I don't think you can overestimate the value of being faithful to God and His call on your life. But in order to make a difference, how we live our lives really matters. So tonight, we're going to look at building with Jesus at the center. And what does that mean to us? Does it mean that to have Jesus at the center of our lives, does that mean that we should be memorizing all of the Bible? We should be memorizing all the do's and the don'ts of the Bible, all the musts. And the must-nots. And then respond to, to every situation in life with chapter and verse. Is that how we ought to be living our lives with Jesus at the center? Or do, do, we, do we receive Jesus as our, as our Savior? And then go back to life as it was because we've got our insurance policy. We've got that, we've got that, uh, that free pass, that get out of jail. We can just go back to our old life. Is that the way we should live? Or is there a better way? Is there, a, is there a, another way? What should the, the normal Christian life look like? So, I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 7. And I'll just give you a couple of seconds to get there. Hebrews 10, verse 5 to 7. This is a most wonderful scripture. The, the whole chapter 10, in fact, the whole book of Hebrews, but the whole of chapter 10 is just so deep. Anyway, Hebrews 10, verse 5 to 7. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, when he, speaking of Jesus, came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do your will, O God. This is talking about Jesus. This is, this is one of those, those messianic prophecies about Messiah that he would come and fulfill. And I just find it so interesting that God says that in burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin, you had no pleasure. You know, in our Christian life, it is so easy to, at times, try to barter with God, to try and negotiate with God. He tells you, I want you to go and get involved in the children's church. Go, go and help with setup, and, and we say, mm -mm, not me, no way, Jose, but I'll give a little bit extra into the offering, or whatever the case may be. Don't part with God. He never changes his mind, you know. You'll just do another lap around the mountain until you obey. So listen, if God's telling you to do something, just do it, because with, with our sacrifices, with, with, our, with our offerings to, to do things our ways, God is never pleased. But Jesus says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. You know, I don't believe that God even wants us to be obedient. Serious. Now, before you hang up, just hear me out. God wants us to be willing and obedient. God is not interested in our obedience unless it has willingness. And I think of this account in, in the Gospels when the Pharisees had come to Jesus and they were trying to trip him up again. And, um, and he told them the story. I don't know if it was a story or parable. Apologies. And he said, um, there was two sons. The father had two sons. And he went to the first son. And he said, son, will you go out and do such and such? And the son said, yes, sure, dad. But he didn't do it. Later, the father, noticing it hadn't been done, 
he went to the second son and he said, son, will you go and do it? And the son said, no, I won't. I'm busy. I can't do it. But then later, feeling bad and feeling guilty, he went out and did it. And Jesus said to them, so, so which of the two sons do you think the father was pleased on? And they all said, well, the father, the, the son rather, that did what his father asked. Absolutely. Why is that? Because the, fun, the son felt remorse. His natural instinct was to, to do life his way. But because he loved the father and he didn't want to hurt the father, because he, he wanted to, 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 um, to bless his father, he yielded his will to the father and he did it out of a willingness, not out of an obligation. And that is the way that God wants us to live our lives, out of a willingness to serve him. What made Jesus' sacrifice acceptable to God? Why, or, or, let, or could I uh, ask the question this way? What made Jesus your and my Savior? How did Jesus get to become our Savior? Was it by living a sinless, perfect life? Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He, he endured every temptation. He, he never yielded for a moment to the enemy. So yes, in one, in one sense, yes, absolutely. The demand of the law was that the sacrificial lamb, and the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. The sacrificial lamb had to be without spot or blemish. There could be no sin in him in order to pay that penalty. So yes, Jesus had to have a sinless life. But in order to be my savior, it took more than that. You see, Jesus had to be willing to go to that cross. When he was in the garden, he had to be willing to make that final sacrifice and say, not my will, but your will be done. Had he not been able to be willing, had he not been able to fulfill the will of the Father, he wouldn't have gone to Calvary. He sweated drops of blood, agonizing over this decision. It wasn't his will, but he was yielded to the will of the Father. And because of that, he went to Calvary. And because he went to Calvary, he is now the Savior of all who will call upon him. For anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He paid the price. He lived the sinless life to, to fulfill the demand of the law so that he could represent us. But then he had to go to Calvary. He had to go to that cross to die in our place. You see, Jesus could have simply lived that sinless life and walked away from Calvary. He could have walked away from that cross. It was his choice to make. It was his life. He could have walked away from it. And he could have died at an old age and immediately been reunited with the Father. He was sinless. He would have been reunited back with the Father. There would have been no problem. But you and I, we wouldn't be having this conversation tonight. We wouldn't be sitting here tonight if Jesus hadn't have said, to do your will, O God. Throughout his earthly ministry, we just hear Jesus saying, I, didn't, I don't do the things I do unless the Father tells me to do them. He lived out that, 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 that prophetic word from the, the writer of Hebrews I quoted. I'm here to do your will, O God. He lived with the will of God at the center of his life. Back to us then. You and I are saved, not by being good. We know that. We are saved by faith in the grace of God that, that 
gave his only begotten son to, to, to live that sinful life, to go to that cross, to pay the price for us so that we could be saved. Justified by his blood, justified by his life and sacrifice. That is how we saved, not by being good. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 and 15, we're going to read it then. The Apostle Paul, or the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, I should rather say, takes it now another step further. Reading from chapter 5.14, it says, verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one, capital O, that's talking about Jesus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, Christian, but for him who died for them and rose again. This is the standard. This is the standard. This is what the normal Christian life is supposed to look like. That we live not for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. You and I don't have to go to a cross. Jesus died for us that we could live for him. Bring it back another step into our, into our daily life now. When God spoke to, to Joshua and the children of Israel, and we can find this in Joshua 1.8, we won't turn there now, but God spoke to Joshua and he says, listen Joshua, don't let this, 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 this book of the law, don't let this word of the law depart from your eyes. He says, but, but meditate on it day and night and then you will make your way successful. Then you will have good success. And this is, this is a very, very valuable a lesson. This is a very valuable piece of knowledge to have. This is something we ought to be doing. However, there is a big however in this that you and I, well, well I certainly do and most of you do as well, have jobs that we need to go to during the day. And part of the contract of my job is that I have sold 40 hours of my week to my employer, to, well, to the person I'm doing work for. And I've agreed certain conditions. I've agreed that I will be there during certain core hours to support the business. I've agreed that um, I will deliver certain, certain artifacts, certain products. And there's expectations on me. Why? Because I have sold them my time. I haven't sold them my soul. Don't, don't, don't get concerned. I've sold them my time. You have sold your company, your time. They get your, 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 your intellect, your, 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 your time, your, your skills. Your, you know, they even have things like intellectual property rights. If you come up with anything whilst you're on their time, they have rights to that intellectual property right. They can, they can um, sell that. It's, not, it's theirs to keep, not yours. Because you are on their book, you are on, as the Americans will say, you're on their dime. They are paying you for that time. And so when we are at work, we need to just do just that. Just work. Be people of integrity. Be, be people of our word. You know, when I, when I was first saved, I was a bit of a nutcase. And I got radically saved and, and I bought myself, I got this little amplifier, this New Testament amplified Bible. And I used to walk around with that thing in my top pocket wherever I went. And any opportunity I got, I would whip that thing out and I would be reading. I'd be meditating on the Word of God. I'd go into the mail room when there, was, when there was no one there. And I would walk up and down there praying in the Spirit. I would be seeking God and praying. And people thought I was nuts. People thought I was absolutely nuts, church. You know, I had good fellowship with Christians. I had some good fellowship. With, but I didn't make any difference in anybody's life that didn't know Jesus till then. They just thought Hoskins has lost it. The boy has gone nuts. When we're at work, we're supposed to work. That's what we're there for. And you know what? We do it with integrity. 
And so that when the opportunity arises and someone asks you, so what are you doing on the weekend? Guess what? I'm going to church. <laughs> I'm going to church. Oh, you're a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. I, you know, and this is what I do. And I, my desire is that they should at that point in time turn around and say, I knew there was something different about you, Huskins. I knew that that uh, I could see there was something different. You, you, you're a person who, who of integrity. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. When, when, when you find a problem, you, you, you try to come up with a solution for it. There was something different about you. What did St. Francis say? That we should preach the gospel and if necessary, use a few words. Church, when we're at work, we need to work. We can't be spending our time meditating on the word of God. This is the price that we pay to be employed. And it is something that we need. But if a man won't work, he won't eat. And if he won't provide for his own household, he's worse than an unbeliever. So we need to work, okay? And when we go to work, we're going to be like Joseph and Potiphar's house. We're going to rise to the top. We're going to be like Joseph in the prison. We're going to rise to the top. We're going to do things with integrity and excellence. We're going to do things well. And when people find out that we're Christians, they're going to say... There was fruit to it all the time. I could see there was something different about her. There was something different about him. We're going to be people of integrity. So how do we live this normal Christian life then? How do we live our life, not for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again? When there is these demands on our lives, whether you're trying to raise kids or going to a job, how do we live this life? Well, I remember my pastor Using this example, this was in South Africa, so he, he used it as he, he used the best rugby team in the world, the Springboks. Well, well, English maybe, you know, but okay, we live in England now, so we'll say English team, right? Um, but he said the rugby guys, when when, when they get when they um, with before the season starts for for weeks, if not months, before any new rugby season starts, the guys will be going to practice. They've got to go to practice. They've got to they've got to train. Now, if they don't go to the practice. They, they don't get selected for the squad. They're not going to make the squad unless they've got the integrity to go to practice and to train. Point number one. And when they go and train, they, 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 they learn the skills. They learn the passing. They learn how to tackle. They, they practice their attacking techniques and their scrummages. And they, and they, 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 get, they get fit. They, they do endurance training. They do wind sprints. They do weight lifting. They, they train. They, they get ready. When match day comes... They run onto the field and they go and they play the game. They don't run onto the field and start doing wind sprints and burpees and push-ups and weight training. They've done all of that in the past. They've, they've prepared themselves. Now, you and I too, we need to prepare ourselves for when we run onto that playing field of life in our, in our world. Whether it's with a mom's group, whether it's in a business, whether it's on a, on a building site, wherever we are going, we need to go onto that playing field of life built up, exercised, done those exercises, be fit. We need to make space in our very busy schedule to spend quality time with God, to spend quality time studying His words, studying His ways, getting to know Him for ourselves. We need a prayer life. I need, my wife and I, we pray together quite a bit, not as much as I'd like to, but that's more to do with the demands of life than anything else. But I love to pray together with my wife. There's something about praying with your spouse that brings a intimacy that, that very few things can. Because when you are praying, you, you are revealing your heart to your father. Who, and it is in a safe environment and is with spouses together. There's an intimacy that is developed between spouses and God in a time of prayer that is, that is invaluable. So if your spouse is saved, pray together. Make a point of it. 
But there's nothing that takes away from praying by yourself. We have got to have that personal relationship, that quality time, getting to know the Father, getting to know Him for ourselves. Coming back to Jesus briefly, Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. We've said that already, we know that. But it wasn't his purity that got him through that garden of Gethsemane when he sweated those drops of blood. But it was the lifestyle that he lived throughout his earthly ministry, living, preparing himself for that, 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 that big test, that final test that would come in that garden, laying down his will for the Father. From that very first account we see when the, when the, when the deceiver, when that deceiver came to him and said, if you be the Son of Man, turn these stones into bread. From that very moment, refusing all temptation when he was at the point of starvation, being tempted in every way, he never surrendered to any of it. But it wasn't that that got him through that garden. It was that bit to do your will, O God. It was to do the will of God. Surrendered to the will of God. Now the Father has given you and I His Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, didn't He, that to the disciples, I'll go away and I'll, I'll send the, the Holy Spirit to you and He will be in you and He will teach you and guide you. So let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15 to 18. Hebrews 10, 15 to 18. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. The Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. Isn't that wonderful? The Holy Spirit, you've got the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, You've got the Holy Spirit and he witnesses to us and he says, I'm going to put my laws into your hearts and in your minds I will write them. Now I don't believe that when God is speaking about the law that he's talking about that list of do's and do nots, the must and must nots, the Ten Commandments. I believe he's talking about revealing his heart to us. Revealing what grieves him, what pleases him. What is his desire? You see, this relationship with God is one of intimacy. I have an intimate relationship with God. It's not a perfect relationship with God in that I know him in completeness. It's not, it's not about perfection in the sense of complete, completion. There is so much to know of God. We probably won't know him at the end of all eternity. But of course, there is no end anyway. But we will never really come to know the completeness of God, the Almighty One, the Creator. But what I do know about him, I know it personally for myself. I joked on the first series of this of this um, couple of weeks ago that, that that Jesus speaks with a Durban accent, because he does to me. That he, what I mean is that he, he speaks to me in a way that I understand, the way that I'm wired. I have a my, I have an intimate relationship with him, a personal relationship. It's a one-on-one. -on -one. It's not from it's not Sandy's relationship with him, and it's not my relationship with Sandy. It's personal. We we are to have this this relationship, this intimacy with him through his Holy Spirit, who reveals the heart of the Father to us on the inside of us. It's called it's called. The Spirit-led life. And, and just to be clear on that point as well, just because it's not the Lord, just because it's not um, the, the, you know, every jot and tittle that, that, that He reveals on the inside of us, it doesn't mean that it would ever contradict His Word either. God will never, 
ever contradict his own word. If you ever feel that you're being led in a direction that contradicts God's word, trust me, you are not hearing from God. That, 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 that is the deceiver. You want to just run away from that, okay? But, 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 but you, child of God, you hear the word of God, a stranger's voice, you will not follow. So, so that's cool. You just stay with that. Now, we are called to live the spirit-led life. Living from the inside out. Living with Christ in the center, that is the Spirit-led life. It's living by the Spirit of God on the inside. Christ on the inside. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Romans 8 says that, that when we live by the Spirit, that's when we, when we fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. You know that Old Testament law with all its do's and don'ts couldn't make you and I righteous because of our own, what the Bible refers to as our own sinful flesh? We, we, we were just incapable of fulfilling it. But when we live from the inside out, when, when God's want-to becomes our want-to, like, like the will of God became the will of Jesus, the want-to became the want-to, when, when God's want-to becomes my want-to, then I can follow him. Then it's not a case of do's and don'ts. You know, we don't clean up our act when we come to, and then come, to, then come to him. We come to him as we are, but then he cleans us up and he changes our want-to from the inside out, one step at a time. You know, with all the moderate and innumerable issues I had when I came to Jesus, he has taken a lifetime to, to, to deal with me on them. He, he Praise God, he doesn't come to us and just dump on us for everything that's wrong in our lives. For example, I used to drink a lot before I got saved. I am now drinking all the whiskey that I want to drink. I don't want any. I don't drink any because I don't want to. That's me. You may still drink whiskey. You may still want to drink whiskey. That doesn't make it right or wrong. It just means that God is dealing with you about other priorities in your life. I reckon you'll get around to the whiskey as well because it can make you inebriated and get all sorts of, of, of problems from it. But, but that's between, between you and God. It's not a law. This is what I'm trying to say. It's about a relationship with God where he walks us through things one at a time. So you don't try to become me. I don't try to become you. And we don't judge each other. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. But just recognize that God is in each other, changing us one thing at a time. So we are to build our lives with Jesus at the center. Jesus at the, the motivation for all I do. The, as Pastor Steve always says, the why behind the what. Jesus is the why behind the what I do. In John chapter 1 verse 1, we see that uh, the word, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word became flesh. It was talking of Jesus. And you'll often hear us or other charismatic Pentecostal preachers say this, that, that Jesus came and he fleshed out the word. In other words, he lived out that word. He was the word, but he came and lived it out. He came and showed us what it means to live out that word. Bear with me, sorry. Excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> you and I too are to flesh out that word. We are to live out that word. And, and in the process of doing that, our lives are transformed into the image of Jesus. This is what we've been predestined to do. Romans 8, 29. God, in his foreknowledge, has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what God predestined for every person who would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
That is his number one desire for us, that we become like Jesus. So as we live the word of God, we are transformed and conformed into his image. So now we can live not by a set of rules, but by but by a, a willingness, a want to, to please him, knowing what pleases the Lord, knowing what grieves him. This Christian life isn't the, the list of must do, mustn't do. It's, it's, it's simply a fact that I now want to bring honour to his name. I want to bring glory to his name. I do not want to discredit his honourable and noble name. I don't want to, to bring division. I don't want to split the church. I don't want to cause harm. I want to bring unity. I want to bring the things that, that bless the Father. Bring love. Bring, bring the light of God into situations. I move from religion to relationship simply through my want-to. That has been changed in the, in the hands of the potter. You know, when Sandy and I first got saved, we were nuts. <laughs> we were crazy. You know, the stuff we got up to, don't take that the wrong way, but the stuff we got up to, I mean, we were working five days a week. Both of us were working. We had jobs. Then we were, we were, um, Sandy's just whispering to me, we got engaged. Yes, we got engaged. <laughs> we, we got engaged. But we were working five days a week. We, we were going to Bible college five nights a week, three hours plus every night. Saturdays were spent doing the assignments for Bible college. Sundays we were serving the church, three services on a Sunday, two morning services plus the evening service. Life was fairly hectic for two years. <clears throat> Pardon me. Saturday morning was the, was the morning that we could sleep in. But what did we do? We got up earlier than normal and we went to walk. We would go for a walk around Zoo Lake and then we would go and have breakfast. Why? We wanted to spend time together. We'd just been engaged. We just wanted to spend, we just wanted to get as much time together as we could. Life was so busy. We had to find time to get together. You will be amazed at what you can do when you want to do it. It's your, it's, our want to is so powerful, church. You, when you want to do something, you will do almost anything. I mean, come on, think of us. When is the last time your pastor had to send you three emails to remind you what time the football match was going to kick off and which train to catch to get there? Or who had to remind you to take your cozy on your summer holiday with you? You wanted to go. You didn't forget it. You wanted to go. You got there on time. When we want to do something, you will be amazed at how much you can do. So, building your life with Jesus at the centre means, here I am to do your will, O God. My will has been yielded to your will, O God. Your want to has become my want to. And now life becomes an ease. And the, the only striving I do is to enter into his rest. To enter into his rest, that walk of faith. His want to has become my want to. I make my plans. I live my life to bring honour to him. To prevent discrediting his noble and honourable name. Now that doesn't mean that I am sinless at perfection. I am not. Ask my wife. She knows me better than anybody else. I'm not and neither are you. So don't look at me with that holy look on your face. Okay. None of us are. None of us have arrived. Look at the Apostle Paul. This great man of God. This incredible example. Romans chapter 7. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Because the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. 
Now, notice he's saying the things I want and don't want. He's doing things almost against his will is what he's telling us. And the thing is this. You and I have something that the Bible refers to as our sinful flesh. It's, it's that old sinful nature that we were born into. And the bad news is that you're going to have it for the rest of your life. You're not Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You, you're good one minute and bad the next. No, you've got something called the flesh. And it's always going to be pulling you back. But the good news, the good news is that the Bible says that there is no condemnation from those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk according to the flesh. In other words, who don't set their minds on, who don't plan to walk, premeditate to walk in the flesh. But when we stumble, when we fall, because we want to go God's way, but this just was just too much for me, and I just couldn't zip my lip, and I just had to say something, and then I regret it afterwards. There is no condemnation from God. No there is condemnation from the enemy. There will be condemnation by other people. We might even condemn ourselves. But there is no condemnation from God for those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't plan to do these things, who don't live their life willfully seeking after the things of self and the things of the flesh. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes on in Romans 8 to say that, so you know, my brothers and sisters, we are debtors. We have a debt to pay, but not to our own desires and our own flesh. But we, have a, we are debtors to God. To, for, 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 for those who live according to the flesh, their, own, their old ways will die. But those who, who by the power of the Holy Spirit working them, put to death the deeds of the body, they will live. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. This is what it's all about, church. This is the normal Christian life, not being perfect. But, but putting to death these, the, 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 the ungodly desires, learning to zip our lip over time, allowing God to change our want to from the inside out so that life does get an ease to it and that we can be, we can be witnesses that have integrity in the workplace. I'm going to come into land now. I'm sorry, we're a little bit over time tonight. But just coming into land, and I'll, and I'll try not to rush through the last couple of minutes, Ephesians 2 verses 19, I think it's 19 and 20, but Ephesians 2 verse 19 anyway. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How good is that? How good is that? You are no longer a stranger or a foreigner, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and you're a member of the household of God. Wow, I didn't deserve that. I didn't. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't deserve that. And you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone and whom the whole building, that's all of us, are being fitted together. We are growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also, you and I as individuals, are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. What a beautiful scripture. You know, I'm not a builder, but even I can see that this talks about Jesus as being the chief cornerstone. And I can see that that means that there's this pillar on the corner. It's talking about Christ at the center of my life. But it's talking about this pillar, this, this one pillar, this cornerstone that is upright. If you took a spirit level, it would be horizontal or vertical, whichever way is up, vertical. It would be perfectly vertical. He, vertical. He, he's not, he, Jesus isn't a little bit off. There's, 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 no, there's no crooked way in him. He's straight. Jesus is straight up. 
perpendicular. He's upright, standing upright. He's he's the one that we can we can balance everything against. He's the one that is that is the, the, the strength that we can tie the rest of the, the building into the rest of those walls. The rest they tied into that one. Christ at the center, built on the apostle, the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets. That's what this is talking about. Do you want to live to leave a legacy? Do you want the building that you are currently building to stand the test of time? We all do, hey. But we will never live, we were never saved to live life on our own. We were never saved to add Jesus to the back of our life and then go back to business as usual. He is not a free pass. He is not our insurance ticket that's been stamped. I think the most uncomfortable place to possibly live as a Christian must be to live with one foot in and one foot out of the kingdom. Pastor Andy's been preaching his heart out on, on the fact that we need to be all in. Why? So we can get more bums on seats, so we can get more money out of you. No, come on, come on. Jesus said, be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. The most uncomfortable place must be to live a half a life for Jesus and half for yourself. We have got to be all in. I'm just going to close with this. And we read it earlier and it's 2 Corinthians 5.14. And this just to bear up what I'm saying. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died, Jesus, for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Church, Let's be living lives that matter, lives that bring honor to Jesus. Let's leave a legacy when in 10 years' time, no, not 10 years' time, 50 years' time, 50 years' time, when we've gone home to be with the Lord, if the Lord hasn't returned by then, and who knows when he's going to come, could be tomorrow, but it might not be for 50 years. So let's live a life that leaves a legacy. Let's, let's, let's not be waiting at... at, at um, the bus stop waiting for Jesus to take us home. No, no, let's be living until he comes for us and let's leave a legacy that matters. God bless you. Have a good week and until we meet again, we love you guys. Stay strong.